0: Oh, it's hard to follow that and that. <laughs> it, um, well, welcome again, whether you're new, you're visiting, you're a friend, you're, you're family. If you haven't been before, you won't be aware that we're doing a series called Can I Renew? Um, back to Basics. I was trying to work out a way of explaining that, and um, my son, he says he'll pay me for this, Daniel, he loves uh, antiques. But um, his least favorite antique program is actually called The Repair Shop. coming up? And, um, and this whole, if you ever watch The Repair Shop, we've only watched it a few times because like I said, he's not so keen on it. And it's where they make old things like new again. You know, somebody's got this kind of family heirloom or something that they've had in their family and they want to see it kind of restored or to be made new. And that's what we've been thinking about and, and talking about. Because I don't know about you, I'm very aware in my life in the society, the world we're living in. There's lots of things that are just broken: broken lies, broken relationships, broken economy, broken world. And, uh, and as a follower of Jesus, I really believe that that wasn't God's original plan and design for the world for our lives. And that actually has a kind of a solution or a way of and restoring things to make things new. And so as a church, we've been looking at and exploring that over a number of months because we want to learn more about that. And in particular, in recent months, we've been looking at this person called uh, Nehemiah. We've been looking at a book in the Bible called uh, Nehemiah. Now, you might be wondering why we take prime time on a Sunday to read from a book uh, called the Bible. Well, it is actually the best-selling book. I anyway, I discovered this week, sometimes I wander into W.H. Smith's and I think, the Bible is the best-selling book, why is it not up there? Deliberately, they, they, they don't include the Bible anymore, just because it would win it every time. And, um, but as a bo- follower of Jesus, I believe that this is the Word of God, and that my life has been changed and continues to be changed by the words in that book. And I believe that it's particularly relevant and applicable in our lives, in this kind of topsy-turvy, crazy world. With so much uncertainty that we are in at this point in time. And that the truth and the wisdom in it is ageless. So Nehemiah, it is an old story. It's actually in what we call the Old Testament. Uh, These are stories about God and man that, that we find in the Bible before the stories of Jesus. But whether it's an old story or not, I believe that we can find truth in it as we look at it. And so, for the last, I don't know, six, seven weeks, it seems like a long time, we've been doing a series on Nehemiah, and the whole story about Nehemiah, for those who haven't been around, is this kind of city called Jerusalem is being destroyed. And um, Nehemiah gets challenged about rebuilding the walls of this city. And again, even if you don't know much about the Bible, but just if you love English history or you like going to National Trust, English Heritage places, you're aware of the importance of wars. To the security, to the protection of the people that lived in that time, and this book of Nehemiah, we've had different people speaking every week, but probably a common theme as I was looking at it was a few things. Firstly, there were choices. It was probably about six weeks ago I started the series looking at Nehemiah one, and just this idea he had a choice of whether he would get involved in that invitation to go and build the walls, and then after that, and the other Sundays, we looked at stories in what's called chapters kind of 2 and 3 and 4 where the people there in Jerusalem were living at that time. They had a choice. Would they get involved in rebuilding and restoring and the wars? I'm looking around. I can see my back. Stephen, a number of weeks ago, did a talk about compassion, that the people were challenged about not just caring about the wars but caring about each other. And again, in that story, there is a choice, there's a decision to be made. And then lastly... Andy, when I'm just looking around, see so he's here. And uh, last week it was just talking about that it wasn't just to do with just rebuilding physical walls, but it was about God inviting us to rebuild our lives by coming back to his word and the challenge and the transformation and the joy that occurs. So now, lastly, we're going to be coming to me, and I'm going to be talking through a chapter called chapter and um, Chapter 9 of Nehemiah. And I'm going to actually just going to work my way through it. Uh, not literally kind of verse by verse, but looking at most verses. And chapters 8, 9, and 10 are all about a call to make life choices, both individually and corporately. And so wherever you are, whether you're just visiting or you've been coming here for a while, we're going to be looking at this passage. I'm going to just start off by Nehemiah 9, verse 1. So Some of these verses are going to come up. Now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with dust on their head. And so in this, right at the beginning of this chapter, the, the Israelites had been gathered. And God begins just to, because of reading the word, their hearts begin to get broken. And some of the things that you read there might sound a bit strange, and things like fasting. Uh, we're actually going to be talking about that in a couple of weeks' time. We're going to get three or four weeks on fasting. I was going to say three weeks of fasting. Everybody wants to leave. But as they began to realize the state of their lives, they, the, the way they wanted to react in, in the sense of humbling was to fast, to kind of wear sackcloth, to kind of put dust in your head. And this might sound kind of strange language to us, maybe an odd time where we see things are not working. They looked at things. Things are not working here as they should be. This is our response to it. Maybe in our days, we might decide to set up a think tank or have a kind of a petition. But in those days, I realized that maybe it's the same in our days. So some of these things are not going to make a change. They believed, as I do believe, that it's God that was going to make the change. But they had this kind of humble attitude saying, God, we need you. And then we read the kind of next uh, verse which is right there at the top. I'll read it from me in my eyes, so it's not great to look at it at the back. Then those Israelites' heritage separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. So they kind of looked at this mess, and they said, God, we need you. They had to realize that they'd kind of messed up. And the word there, sin, actually comes from this idea to miss the mark. There's a reason why that picture's up there. In case you're wondering, what's the relationship between that picture? In an archery tournament uh, years ago, if one didn't hit the target, it was called a sin. It didn't matter whether you missed it slightly or you missed it totally or you fell short of it. It was all a sin. And so the Israelites were gathering and said, you know what, if you're going to use it maybe in our everyday language, we kind of have messed it up. Or another way of looking at it is the verse I put underneath there, which is, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And again, you might think, what does that mean to fall short of the glory of God? Maybe the way of looking at it is you're falling short of the best that God had for you when he created you. Again, I was going to make it sound like maybe this is my age, going to national trust places and... English heritage, but particularly more with English heritage and national trust. You sometimes go to those places and you look at them and it's kind of like a ruin. And maybe it's just me. I sometimes think, I wonder what it was like in its glory days. I wonder what it was like in its prime. This is what we're we talking about. It's like it's like we are fall short of the prime, the best of what we were made to be individually and corporately. And when they kind of realized that, it kind of broke their heart. And it's like, God, we don't want this. And so that's the link to the verse. Maybe I'm linking the verses now. Maya 1 and 2 is a well known verse. I looked at it a few weeks ago in 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Now, the people in Nehemiah's day would have known about this verse because this verse was kind of written before their time. And so as they see the way that they have missed the mark, fallen short of the glory of God, they know that the best thing that they can do is to begin to call on his name. We actually called a number of his names this morning. I can't remember them more. Healer, deliverer, uh, love, father. I don't remember what um Savior, thank you. You are listening well. <laughs> and um, calling on that name and seeking his face and humbling themselves that's what all that fasting's about it's not to do with the actual act kind of, you can throw a sound on your head you can do whatever you want it's a state of the heart but it's made visible in some of these actions and so that's what they challenged to do and so what happens next? you're wondering well, Nehemiah 9 verse 3 I definitely got to read this one here. Is that too small. No. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one fourth of the day, and for another fourth they confessed and worshipped their God. It's kind of like they see the state that they're in, and it's like, what do you do? And I think a good place to start is to look at God. When we look at a situation, you know, I don't know about you, when I have something that's broken, I'm very bad technically. Uh, all the technical abilities and sense of fixing things all seem to f- go to my brother who can do everything and <laughs> I can't. And, um, but even so, and in my place of desperation, I turn to what a lot of us do. is kind of like the manual or YouTube. <laughs> like, how do I, I fix this? And so they knew, they kind of looked, and was, what do we do? And they, so they turned to God, and i particularly focusing on a couple of words. They conf, confessed and they worshipped. If um, you come to this church regularly, you know that we do a, I try to call it a service, it's not a service. We do a gathering on the first Wednesday of every month called Come Holy Spirit. And really, we just spend time just waiting upon God and saying, God, what is it you're saying to us? And it's interesting having prepared this talk already, being there last Wednesday, because literally all that happened was we worshipped and we confessed. We said, God, you are almighty, you are all-powerful. God, we need you, we are aware of our failings. And then in his goodness, which is always how I love God, he's so good. It's like more of, of our failings that we see, the more of his mercy he shows, the more of his goodness he shows, the more of his power he shows. He chose us, which in some ways causes us to kind of go, "Oh God, we need you more." We confess that more, and then He shows us more of His mercy and more of His goodness and more of His glory. And in some ways, I wasn't there at this time, obviously, of Nehemiah, however <laughs> oh, old my kids think I am. Uh, but I can picture a little bit of that. For me, it was a bit like what was happening on last Wednesday—the kind of the worship and the confession. You the know, kind of there's a prayer of um, repentance, and this is how it starts because you can think about things but it invites us to respond and one of the first ways that they responded was a prayer and um, well, I think I need to go back yeah, sorry and you get the verses here the, the verses underneath it stand up and bless the Lord your God very similar to what we did this morning Forever and ever, blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessings and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts; the earth and everything on it; the sea and all that's in them, and you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. And um, and this is my challenge to myself. This is my challenge to you individually. This is my challenge as a church, as we seek to want to see renewing our lives and renewing our communities, renewing our workplaces, renewing our, at the school gates and our schools, filling the gap with whatever situation is for you. The place to start is where they started, which is looking at God. Those who know me know that sometimes when I'm um, kind of running prayer meetings, I have this phrase, look up before you look out. Maybe I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit, which means look up before you look in. And what I mean by that is it's very easy, even with a topic like this, it can become very kind of navel-gazing or kind of very much kind of looking at ourselves. But the place to start is to look at God. To look at Him in His love and His goodness and His power and His might. And fix our eyes upon Him. There's no better place to start, no better place to finish. Not that I'm finishing the talk yet, in case you're wondering. But just to focus in on him and who he is. Who is he? Getting overwhelmed by that. And so I'm not going to do all the the verses, but the kind of next few verses, it's kind of like a a story where Nehemiah, and and we hear this in the prayer, they begin to look back over the history of God's goodness, of his provision, particularly for somebody called Abraham. And then if you know any of the history They ended up in a place called Egypt, and there were slaves there. But God came along and restored them. And so this idea of the importance of not just looking at God, but just reminding ourselves of his promises and his truths. And so what was their response to that? And I think often the response that we have to God's goodness and God's mercy, and we see kind of two buts coming up. Firstly, verse 16, but they... And this is the guys praying, so this is where it's coming from. The Israelites, right, so they were praying. But they and our fathers acted proudly. They hardened their hearts and did not heed your commands. And so often that's our story, if we're really honest. We act proudly, we harden our next means, we just do what we want to do. It's like we have a choice do we do what we want to do and try to run our lives ourselves, or so we allow God to? to rule our lives so you've got that but but then you've got the but on the other side but you are God this is verse 17 ready to pardon gracious and merciful slow to anger abundant in kindness wow I mean you could stop there and just think about that we have our choices we do our things but he has his love I, I love my children. I only got one here at the moment. He's returned. Okay, calm down. I think he's making the most of this. Maybe next time I'll send um, uh, the guys upstairs, are all youth. But, um, but I have four children. But often they make choices and decisions that you just think, oh, why are you doing this? Particularly now my oldest have gone to university, and so they're 18, so they're of age. And um, if you're a parent, you probably relate to this. He says, why are you doing that? That's not the best thing you can do. And you try to guide them and encourage them from a a distance. And as soon as they've made choices and decisions which I not necessarily think are the best. And I'm not the greatest dad there's ever been, for sure. And and I don't want a response from you, Dan. (laughs) uh, But I'm there. I'm always there. And I always will be there. And so that's maybe a small indication of what this, you know, this passage is about. It's like, God, we've messed up. But God is always saying, I'm there. And they're kind of reminding themselves. I mean, they're saying this as much to remind themselves of this truth. It's not that they're experts on it. Sometimes we have to just say things until it becomes a reality in our hearts. Because, you know, it's very easy to go, yeah, you're ready to pardon. You're gracious and merciful, slow to anger. You're abundant in kindness. It's easy to say phrases like that. But we don't always live from the freedom and the joy and the transformation when we really truly grasp that, and so they're they just saying that, and then you get these passages that goes on after that, and so for kind of like the next ten verses it's just really a a story of like where the Israelites kind of go their own way, they do their own thing, and then they cry out to God, and God in their mercy reaches out, He cr- brings a deliverer, and then they go and make their own choices. But there's still that kind of desperation because they see what's happening in their lives. And then we get this verse. I told you we are going to go through a lot of verses. You might actually want to read Nehemiah when you get home, Nehemiah chapter 9. And it says this, now, it's like in the context, I often say when there's now certain words, you should look back to what it said. In the context of this cycle, we're doing our own thing, we're crying out to God, we're doing our own thing, we're crying out to God, it says, Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy. It's like they're just returning to that basic truth of who he is, of his might, of his power, of his love. They press into that well-known verse, and some people know Lamentations 3, verse 22 to 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Again, a great verse is kind to of verse I was encouraged to learn as a child. But there's a big difference between knowing a verse even memorizing a verse and living from that reality of it. You know, we sang about it this morning in the old kind of great Welsh hymn, Love Wild as the Ocean. You know, just the just the, the, the depth and the breadth of that. You know, I often think about that when I go to the beach and the ocean. Wow, can you measure that? No, you can't. Can you measure God's love? Can you measure his mercy? And it's new every morning. It's new every morning. And we have to grasp that. And I think for some of us, we kind of think, is his love enough? Is his mercy enough? Is his goodness enough? And we need to hear that it is. The question is, how are we going to responded to this and that's the challenge that I kind of begin to finish on here because it says they got the dot dot and at the end it says and because of all this what's all this the all this is what I just said this cycle of kind of making our own choices seeing the consequences of our choices and not being the best turning back to God and saying God we need you need you in the kind of the context of his goodness and his mercy And because of this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests, seal it. And so what what does that mean? Well, maybe just think of a covenant as like a contract, an agreement. It's saying, God, we are saying again, we want to put you first. We want to press into the reality of who you are. We want to make choices that line up with who you are. You know, this series is called Renew Back to Basics. And a lot of things I've shared today be like, particularly if you've been coming to church for any period of time, let alone if you've been coming for many years, it's like, well, that's very basic, Paul. It's true. But there's nothing more basic than coming to God and saying, God, I need you. and falling on the goodness and the mercy and the love of God day by day. So, what does this look like? This idea of the things I talked about? Well, I think in so many ways it's reflected in what Peter has just shared um, today, you know, kind of testimony. So, he sees all to do about choices and decisions. Like I said, Nehemiah, the whole book, as I looked at it, is about choices. It's about invitations, it's about challenges to make choices. Choices that involve more than just tears, but involve actions, right from the physical action initially of, building the walls, and later on it's a choice of making decisions and how they're going to live their lives. You see, I haven't got time to do this, but chapter 9, maybe we can call it the tears where they're crying out and they're praying. In chapter 10, it becomes very, very practical. And you, I'm not going to give you, I haven't got time to do it, but it talks about these choices affect your relationships, they affect your finances, and they affect your lifestyle. It's more than just saying something. And so as Peter shared in her testimony, she had a choice, initially had this invitation to kind of follow Jesus, the one that is always giving. Will you come and follow me? Are you going to be, as we would use in this church, we talk this idea of being an apprentice of God, seeking to learn from the master because he knows the best way to live this life. And this is involved, as we see in this chapter, humbling and admitting we're not perfect, that we need God's help to do life. An acknowledgement that we keep seeking to try to do things by ourselves and we end up in a mess and we have to fall back on the goodness and the mercy of God. And as we also have seen in this passage that this involves a covenant, like an agreement to say, God, I want to keep in step with you. I want to keep following you. That will affect our lives. It's a continual one. It's not a kind of one-off thing. It's a choice we have to make day by day. And one of the things I would say at the end we could begin to think is, And I thought Joe at one point was going to nick my talk. But what's the choice of decision God is calling us into? And it will mean many different things to us. And it's an individual one, but it's also a corporate one. I believe God is challenging us individually today. And if you'd call Winchester Vineyard your church corporately, what does that mean? You see, we can do a series, and we're going to carry on. Some of this stuff is linked into it. We could talk forever on renew, but I don't want to talk about renew forever. What does that look like for us corporately to step into renew, to be transformed more than ever? When we started this series, I was looking at Nigel Jew. I think January or February. I can't remember what it was. March more than ever now i see the need to see renew in our lives but certainly in the society that we live in and we have the solution not that because we're experts but i believe god is the expert and how are we going to step into it but like i said it's not just a thing that we say in our heads it involves a public act, and that's why again uh, I love, in some ways, the demonstration we have today. You see, Peter could have said, "You know, when we get baptized, it's something that's not—it's a very public demonstration and declaration. It's part of her choice and journey to follow Jesus." Now, you might well not be able to see that. I was trying to find it; I couldn't find it anywhere else without making it boring. So, I'm going to read it to you. If you've got really great eyesight, well done. And this is some verses from Romans 6, and it says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. For the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Well, there's a lot of words there. And um, what does that mean? Let me just going to simplify it. Baptism is a public display, and it's something done in the physical that has spiritual meaning. Going down in the water symbolizes death. As Peter goes down, she's saying, God, I thank you for what you've done, but I want to say, keep saying yes to you. And I want to see all that you did on the cross, your death, that brought freedom, that brought transformation. I want to see more of that manifest in my life. I want to see the old Peter go down. I want to see a new Peter coming up. It might look the same on the outside, but with a fresh empowerment of the resurrection power of God. So in some ways, we're here to kind of celebrate uh, this morning, Peter, and kind of a declaration of faith. Her journey is a journey of choices and decisions. And today, as I finish this series, wherever you are, whether you're coming for the first time or you've been here many, many times, what's God inviting you into? For some of you, it might be for the first time saying, I want to follow you, Jesus. I've been around church, maybe a bit like Peter was saying, you know, you can kind of go at Easter and Christmases and you want to know more, then I'd encourage you to kind of come and speak to either me or Joe or Amy uh, at the end. But for the rest of you, what does that mean? About six or seven weeks ago when I, I spoke, I, I brought up this well-known quote by a guy called Jim Elliot. Uh, he was killed in nineteen. 19- 56 if I remember right with four of his colleagues just fresh out of university working amongst the Alcas in Ecuador and um, he said this before he died he's no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose and so I'm just going to pause and I'm going to give a very public um, challenge just because what Peter's doing is very public and it took a risk and Involve the choice. What's God inviting you to say yes to? What does it look like for you to say yes to Him again? Maybe it's for the first time. Maybe it's just in a a situation. Maybe it's saying, I'm going to go and speak to my neighbor or work colleague about Jesus. It may be, and I was praying about this morning, I think there's somebody here who has to make the first move in restoring a family relationship that's broken I think it might be a a sibling it might be going back to the notice that uh, Amy did about the kind of the creative hub it might be just admitting and saying you know what God you have given me a gift a creative gift and I've kind of hidden it for many many years and I need to stand up and just acknowledge it and step into what that might look like it could be a whole load of different things what's God inviting you So I'm going to pause and then in a minute I'm going to say, if God is just challenging you to say yes again, stand. So let's just pause. I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit because he speaks really clearly, way better than me. Holy Spirit, what are you inviting us into? What does saying yes to you look like? What decision is he inviting you into? So I'm just going to say, um, Amy and Joe, feel free to come up if you want as well. But if you feel like God is very specifically... It might be something big, it might be something small, but it involves a choice and decision. Could you just stand? I don't mind if it's one or two or whatever, but if you feel like God is specifically saying to you, I want you to do this, just to stand. Thank you, those who are standing. So in a minute, I'm just going to pray for you. See, every decision to step forward into something new that God is inviting you into takes courage. So I'm going to pray for the Spirit just to give you that. It's going to give it a little bit longer. I feel there are some, maybe more people out here. I want to take up His invitation to step closer takes courage, but well done. Thank you for those of you who are standing and we honour you in that. It's not too late to stand now. Thank you. Somebody else, that's lovely. God bless you. And if you're just...